thing I will say, this is the word of the Lord. You will all respond, thanks be to God, and you'll not just mutter it under your breath. You'll say, thanks be to God, recognizing that we're very fortunate to live in a country where we are still free to read it publicly. So it's Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John has been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for your word that we can hear so freely proclaimed. And we pray for Andrew now as he comes, that you by your Holy Spirit would take away any reservations or inhibitions or fears that he has, and that you would speak through him, that we might see something of the glory of who your son is and what he has given to his followers because of that authority. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Barbara. Always encouraged whenever Barbara reads for us. Uh, like I said, I just got back from uh, Turkey, got back last night. Um, um, and so this morning what I want to do is, is, as we go through this passage, also give an update on some of the work that's happening across like, Acts 29 churches in Europe and even into Africa. Um, we've, we've moved out of Luke chapter 8 where we saw uh, Jesus demonstrating his power over the natural world and calming the storm over the spiritual world through, through having authority and casting out demons and, and, and over the, the physical world over um, sickness and even death as he heals the woman uh, who has been bleeding for 12 years and then raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And now what he does is he passes that same power and authority onto his disciples, which is really, really cool. Um, like I said, I just got back from Turkey, and I am terrible at preparing for trips. I either massively overpack, or then the next time I'm going, I don't want to overpack, so I don't take hardly anything. Um, I remember a few years ago, me and Haley went to Rome for a conference. It was in May in Italy, so it was hot. I brought jeans, DM boots, and a woolly jumper. Um, massively... Um, underprepared for that trip. But this time, I got it spot on. Perfect number of t-shirts, pants, socks, everything, just a perfect number, no extra baggage, it was great. But no matter how you pack for a trip, anytime you're going somewhere, you have to prepare. There's a certain amount of preparation you have to do, isn't there? I don't know what that may look like for you. 
um, but you'll have to make sure you've got your passport, your, your boarding pass, you've, you've packed the right number of clothes, the, the appropriate clothing, you've got somewhere to stay, all these kinds of things. But in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is sending his disciples on a trip, on a mission trip of sorts, but he tells them to go and not take anything with them. This is Jesus getting ready to turn his sights towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to go and die. And he knows that someday his disciples are going to take up the mantle that we now carry of being his hands and feet in the world. And this is their time to learn by doing, right? They're they're, They're getting their hands dirty. They're getting stuck in. But he doesn't give them very much preparation. Don't take any extra clothes. Don't pack any food. Don't even book somewhere to stay, right? Don't be getting any Airbnbs or anything like that. And in the face of it, they look woefully underprepared. Like even worse than me going to Rome with DM boots and a woolly jumper. But the point is that in Jesus, they have everything they need to carry out his mission. And this is what I want us to see this morning. Jesus is sending us out to proclaim the gospel. And in him, we have everything we need for the mission. Okay? If you are a Christian this morning, then the headline is you are a missionary. If you, if you trust in Jesus, the moment you trust in Jesus, you are a missionary. And Jesus is sending us out to proclaim the gospel, and in him we have everything we need for the journey, for the mission. And we see this played out in four ways in this passage. And the first thing we see is that we go with his power and authority. We go with his power and authority. And we see that in verses 1 to 2, like Barbara read. He calls the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Wow. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus sends them out, yes, but he sends them out in his power and authority. He bestows his power and authority on them. Both are necessary and both are given. I heard uh, someone put it this way, this idea of power and authority being given was this guy was an athlete, he was a talented runner. He, could, he, he was very talented. Now, if he had decided to run over the White House lawn, you know, where the president lives, he could do that, but he wouldn't have the power and authority to do that. He would have the ability, but he needs the authority to be able to do that, otherwise he'd probably get shot by the Secret Service, right? But Jesus gives his disciples the power and the authority, and because of this, they can speak the gospel and heal the sick and cast out demons and do all these incredible things. Now, this isn't the final sending out uh, that we see in the Great Commission um, after Jesus' resurrection. We know that what they are given here is a temporary power and authority because later on in the start of Acts, we see that after Jesus ascended, they have to wait on the Holy Spirit coming to, so they can begin their ministry. This is a special time that they are given this special kind of power and authority. But I don't know about you, it's easy to see these disciples and be envious of all they did. They were healing people and casting out demons. And it's easy to say, well, why, why can I not do this stuff? Like, why, is, why is my mission not a little bit more um, exciting or powerful? We can even be jealous of Christians in our time, can't we? Wow, they're so bold in the gospel. Their faith is stronger. This week in Turkey, I got to spend time with Antoine, who is a pastor. That's our f- first picture up there, Dan, please. Yep, there he is. He's just a happy, wee, funny man. <laughs> Um, you might remember me mentioning Antoine and his wife Citadel before, and um, we've prayed for them. Um, uh, his wife Citadel, which is, I, I guess that's a common Filipino name, I'm not sure, um, but she's from the Philippines, and, and because the government in Turkey are trying to close down the Christian church, 
they're targeting people who are Christians who are not from uh, Turkey. And so they were trying to deport uh, her, which would mean that obviously uh, leaving her, her, her husband and her, their two sons. Um, he was telling me that they finally had a judge rule that that would be um, against the, the European Court of Human Rights because it would be breaking up a family, which is great. But still, um, but still uh, uh, the, the immigration of the, of the actual government of Turkey are, are refusing to issue her visa, refusing to issue her identification. So she couldn't even travel to this conference because she didn't have ID and she could get arrested uh, for that. Um, but, uh, but, but still, they're full of joy and they're on the front line and they're doing so much cool, cool stuff. For example, the next picture here shows that they, uh, they're up in the north of Turkey where the, the earthquakes have been most devastated. He was saying that the people, in the, like for every 100 houses, maybe only five were left standing. Um, and the government is corrupt and there's no money coming. So what their church is doing, and a handful of churches up there are building these temporary shelters, which are in actually preparation for the winter. They're going to have to live in these for years, two families in each one. Crazy situation. Um, but they're doing that because they love Jesus. And they're doing this as a way of not just helping these people who are struggling, but they're sharing the gospel. They're seeing Muslim people who uh, would never have entertained the idea of Jesus saying, pray for us and, and coming to know Jesus. They're giving out Bibles, and, and uh, I think this next slide is of a lady. Uh, her husband, when they finish this, they call them tents. It looks kind of like a, I don't know, like a small barn or something, like a greenhouse. But um, he, this lady, her husband, he was one of those people. They heard that these Christians were building these shelters, and he came to them and said, pray for us, pray for us. Uh, he said, uh, our God is doing nothing. And that guy received Jesus, and uh, so the Lord is doing incredible things. Now, uh, and we're, we're going to send them some money, and maybe we'll talk about how we can maybe do a collection as well to send them some money for that work, because the winter's coming, and it's going to be awful. Now, I have to be honest, um, I, find myself compare, I, I find myself comparing myself to, to Antoine and to other people there who are doing incredible things and, and feeling pretty inadequate. Going, why is my faith is not as strong as theirs, or, or why, why am I doing, not doing as powerful things as them? But listen... Comparison is a thief of contentment. And the devil wants to keep us comparing ourselves to other Christians and other ministries and going, uh, oh, well, I'm not as good as them. Because if we keep doing that, then we never do anything for Jesus. And the truth is that Jesus sends us to whom he sends us. So if you, we are here in South Belfast and Jesus has sent us to South Belfast. Jesus has sent us to wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever our family is. He has sent us to these people. And so we might compare ourselves, but what we need to realize is that Jesus has given us an even greater power than he did to the disciples in, in Luke chapter 9. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, truly, truly. He wants to make, when Jesus says that, you're like, I need to listen. He says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater work that works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, let's start with this bit, because everyone wants to go, oh, the greater works, am I going to do great miracles? Well, let me start here. He says, because I am going to the Father. This is the whole reason for everything else he's just said. You see, Jesus' resurrection makes sense of all the other miracles and signs he did, with all the, 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 the casting out of demons and healings and resurrections. His resurrection makes sense of all that, puts them all into context. The, the resurrection of the Messiah is the greatest work, 
and puts all the other great works into context. So our position is more privileged than that of the disciples in Luke chapter 9 because they didn't fully understand who Jesus was at this point. But we get to look back at the resurrection. Remember in Easter we celebrate Jesus is risen from the dead. He is bodily alive. And we get to understand and see exactly what he has been doing through all his signs and wonders. And so the greater works that we have been given power and authority to do require Jesus to be seen as the resurrected Lord of all. Everything we do should point people to the resurrected Lord Jesus. We could go out and perform miracles and healings like the disciples, but if it's not pointing to the risen Lord Jesus, ruling in power, then it means nothing. Pastor Antoine and his wife Citadel and those churches up in the north of Turkey building those houses, the reason they're preaching the gospel as well is because all those works that they're doing, we can say, wow, it's not pointing to the risen Lord Jesus, then it's not worth anything. So our, our, the, the, the power and authority and the works that we are given to do are even greater than that of the disciples. The disciples were healing people who would one day die again, but we get to preach the gospel that brings people from death to everlasting life. Church, Jesus is sending us out to proclaim the gospel and we go with his power and authority. And we don't need to wait until we're better qualified or we know our Bibles more or we have a better prayer life or we have more funding or whatever it may be. We don't need to go on a mission trip to Turkey. The reality in which we now stand if we believe in Jesus is that we are in him and he sends us with his power and authority and we will in his name do greater things. Because of our testimony, the words we speak, his kingdom will spread across our families the daunting one, it's always the most daunting one, isn't it? To share the gospel with your family. His kingdom will spread across our streets, our city, this island, the whole world. Because he sends us with his power and authority. So as one pastor put it, speak and don't be scared. And if you're scared, speak anyway. <laughs> and when you do speak, you speak in the power and authority of Jesus. So secondly, then we see that he sends us out, but he also provides all that we need. Look at verses 3 to 4. He says to them, take nothing for your journey, right? And then he qualifies what nothing means. Don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take a bread. Don't take a bread. Don't take bread. Don't take money. And do not have two tunics, right? Don't worry about your raincoat. Don't worry about if you get dirty. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Now, I know when, when me and Haley and the kids go up to Castle Rock for a weekend, we're taking half the contents of our house. Like the boot is full, the dog's squeezed in like this, the kids' her feet are all up because there's bags on them. Healy's got all bags under her feet. Uh, 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 but, but here Jesus sends out the disciples and he says, don't take anything. Don't even take a change of clothes. See, Jesus sends them out in such a manner so that they would have to intentionally rely on him. He sends us out in a way that we rely on him. And the whole point of this venture is to bring the world to rely on Jesus. And so, of course, he sends them in a way that they would rely on Jesus. There was no relying on man-made comforts or supplies. But would they still be able to carry out his mission? Yes. Because when we rely on Jesus, he provides everything we need to proclaim the gospel in the world. When we have Jesus and our priority is preaching his gospel, then we don't need to rely on anything else. And when I look at my own life, I seriously have to ask myself, am I relying too much on material man-made things for comfort and not relying on God? 
And, and I would probably even go one further when I examine my life is, and, and say that if we are depending on material things for comfort and security, then we can't really be effective on mission for Jesus. The new life that we've been raised to in Jesus is a life in which the top priority is sharing the gospel. And Jesus has promised that we will have everything we need for that life. He doesn't promise us riches. He doesn't promise us great health all our lives. He doesn't promise us security. But what he promises is that if our priority is sharing him and and preaching his gospel, then he will provide everything we need for that. And so if our priorities are material comfort, jobs, stability, financial security, then we probably aren't fully living in the new life we have been raised to. Could it be that we're far too dependent on material things to actually be effective for Jesus? It's hard to think about, isn't it? Our priorities are are finding a partner, having a good career, buying a house, self-fulfillment, whatever it may be. But Jesus calls us to a way of living which offers far more security, far more fulfillment, far more comfort and joy because the comfort and security and joy he offers is eternal. It's a way of life that says that anything we can do in this life is, is, is short, but what he offers is for eternity. Can we really say like the old hymn, take the world but give me Jesus? We see this again in verse 4 when he tells the disciples to enter the house. Enter a house and stay there, he says. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from and from there depart. In other words, he's saying, don't go house hopping, right? Don't go keep looking for a better offer. Don't go from place to place looking for, oh, well, that person makes better food, or they have a bigger bed, or, you know, better camel parking, or whatever they have in those days. But, yeah, I don't know, maybe they have a pool, or good Wi-Fi. Don't do those things. Listen, I know, believe me, that the temptation for us is to keep moving on to the next thing and the next thing, looking for more comfort, a better quality of life, more money, bigger house. And Jesus is saying to, to us, I am sending you out right now to the people of Belfast, to the streets and neighbors around you to preach the gospel. So be content with what I have given you. Honestly, I, I think in our generation, and it's so, it's so subversive and so um, subtle that we don't even realize we do it, but it's just accepted that we're far more likely to be motivated to move house or change location for our job than we are the gospel. Where can I find an affordable house, a nicer house, a bigger house, a better house, rather than where does God need me? Church, let's ask ourselves, are we dependent on anything but God as we live for him? Each of us must examine our own lives and our hearts and answer that question ourselves. And if you're married, then you've got to do that together, guys. Are we willing to forsake everything the world can offer to follow Jesus and make him known? Trust in that. It's only for a wee while. That eternal joy and comfort is, is forever. So I want to introduce you to uh, the next guy, Pastor Keo. There he is. Um, I'll explain where we are in this photo in a second. Keo is uh, from the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. And um, he, um, just this incredible man, was once a Muslim, now has planted dozens of churches. Um, but he was telling us the context they're in. Uh, and he was saying that in, in that kind of very religiously strict Muslim context in West Africa, um, you, don't choose, you don't choose who you marry. Women don't choose who they marry. Your father, if you're a woman, will give you to a man to be married. Now, what happens is if that woman then maybe has children and they have a family and she comes to know Jesus, 
sorry, if the husband comes to know Jesus, then the, the father of the wife can come and take the kids and, and, the, and his daughter away from him. And likewise, if, if that woman becomes a Christian, if she comes to know Jesus and chooses to follow him, then the husband can take her kids and just abandon her. Like these are, are women and men for whom, when they choose Jesus, <laughs> it means losing everything. You're, you're literally choosing Jesus over everything else. And we can't quite grasp that. It means in real terms that choosing Jesus means leaving everything else behind. Like we said before, take the world but give me Jesus. I want to point our, uh, bring our attention to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, verses four, uh, 2 to 4, Paul is writing to the Colossians, uh, which is actually a city in Turkey as well. And at the same time, he, or sorry, he's saying, um, uh, he's encouraging them to continue the faith because Jesus is supreme, right? We're going we're gonna to go through Colossians in the autumn time, and I can't wait. Um, it's a class book. Uh, here's a little preview. He's asking them to pray for him and pray for Timothy. Uh, he says, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, right? He's in prison <laughs> and he's asking this church in Turkey to pray for him. And remarkably, he doesn't say, guys, would you pray that they get me out of prison sometime so I can go and keep preaching the gospel? His only, his only prayer is that a door would open for the gospel and that he would be able to speak it clearly. His own comfort was not a priority or even a little add-on prayer request. Now, none of us would begrudge him saying, please pray that I get out of prison. We'd be like, yeah, of course, Paul, this is awful and you're in prison. He knew that life is short, eternity is long, and there is one priority, making Jesus known. Is this our priority is our priority that doors would open for the, the, the gospel? What would it look like for us to live in this way? Imagine if every day before you left the house to go to work or drop the kids off or whatever it is you do, if our prayer was like, Lord, open a door for the gospel today. Church, this is the calling we have been given. There is no greater privilege for us and there is no greater need for the world. Let's stop prioritizing the comforts of material things and make the gospel our priority. That's what it means to truly be countercultural, right? And when we do this, we will see and experience that God will provide all that we need and we will see his power and authority at work through us and we will see people coming to know him. So he sends us with power and authority. He provides all we need when we prioritize the gospel. And thirdly then, uh, we go to all who will receive us. See this in verses five to six. He he's still sending them out and he says, don't take anything with you. Don't be looking for more and more comfort. And then he says, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, maybe this idea of shaking the dust off your feet doesn't make much sense to us, but Jesus is speaking in a way that the disciples will understand. You see, he's referring to an ancient Hebrew practice that when you left a pagan land, uh, if you've been passing through, for example, you would shake the dust off your feet so as that you wouldn't, contamp you wouldn't bring the dust of that, that pagan place into the, the holy land, into uh, the presence of God's anointed set-apart people. And when Jesus says, wherever they do not receive you, now he's not talking about oh, receiving them as people. He's actually talking about 
people who don't receive the gospel. This word receive is talking about just not receiving the disciples, but receiving the kingdom, believing the gospel in their hearts. And so Jesus is sending us to, or sending them to everyone, but warning that not everyone will receive what they have to offer. I'm sure we all know what this is like. If you have a friend, you've been sharing the gospel for years and years and years, and they just don't believe it. But listen, Jesus says that's okay. Not everyone you share the gospel with will believe it. But that's okay. Our job is not to convert people. Our job is to tell people. Only the Holy Spirit can convict people of their need for Jesus. And all we have to do is speak. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a friend who came from England. He was here for a year doing a master's. And we hung out together, rode our bikes together, all these kinds of things. And, and, and I was so sure that he was going to get saved. Because we shared the gospel so many times. And he was in our community. And he was friends with us. And, and, and I was sure that he would uh, come to know Jesus. And in the end, he went back to England. And he still wasn't a Christian. And I remember feeling at the time so crushed by that. What have I done? What have I not done? Have I not done enough? 